Good Thursday afternoon, Tennessee Titans fans, SEC football fans. My name is Braden Gall, and that is not Zach Lyons. That is Easton Freeze, and of course, host of the Hot Read Podcast, joining us on the show this Thursday to preview the Titans-Colts game, talk a little SEC football, but talk a lot about the offensive line. Brought to you, of course, by Sinkers Beverages and the Kingston Group. Make sure you check out these two locally owned great companies here in Nashville, Tennessee. So uh, we do appreciate it. Easton, how are you, man? Good to have you on the show today. I'm great. Yeah, Phil and Freeze at your service. Excited to be here. Um, can't wait to talk Titans ahead of a big one this weekend. I have lots to say, which is a good thing, because like you said, <laughs> pulling double duty today. I'm I'm going to say some things about the Titans now, which you should be listening to, and then I'm going to say some more things, some different things about them later on my show live at 5:30. So if you watch both, I'll I'll I don't know, I'll mail you a cookie or something. I don't know where where might you be at 5:30. Boomba's Pizza live in Spring Hill. Thank you so much for asking. A fantastic yeah. fine dining establishment where you should come hang out with us. And if you do and say hi, we'll give you free food. We'll give you a free gift card, and you can you can uh, taste test all this food we're telling you about all the time. That should sell itself, Braden. Right? Like. Free, free foods Drive, all you need to I say am hello and then get it it's it's pretty self-explanatory so come get well, free here's food. here's the question uh sinkers beverages of course number one liquor store in east nashville number one liquor store in nashville uh as voted on by you the listeners and kingston group of course the nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm award-winning uh so that being said do I get free food if me and my two daughters walk to Boomba's in East Nashville? Because we, my daughters love that spot. No free shouts. They love that spot in East. They got the big playground there for the kids. So if you're not in Spring Hill, of course, there is another location. You can come check that out. Uh, but do, if I walk in there and just say, hey, Easton Free says I get free food. Will, uh, will anybody have any clue what I'm talking about? You know what? You can try. I encourage you to try. I make no promises. Um, I have my own opinions as to whether or not that will work, but I do it as the, as a company man, I will say you should walk in there and yes. give it a, give it a college try. Dude, the, the ladies, the little ladies love that spot, man. Great place for kids. Of course. Good. Pizza. It is a great place for kids. Yeah. Go check it out. We're going to, this is, this is why you get to fill in. You get free advertising for, for Boomba's pizza uh, sinkers and Kingston group bring you this great show. Bluegrass beverages bring you, brings you football and other F words up in Hendersonville, the sister store to sinker. So make sure you check them out. Lots of Local stuff to do today. Baby. Love it. Right. All Come locally on. owned and operated. Come so, on. uh, tons of stuff to do today on the show. We do appreciate you guys in the comments. If you want to jump in, please jump in. We're going to try to make fun of Zach too today on the show. Cause he will never say a positive thing about anything that's related to the Indianapolis Colts, the Jacksonville Jaguars, or the Houston Texans. Every time and, Braden texts me, hey, can you fill in? Uh, part of the agreement is, can I come make fun of Zach? Otherwise, I'm not interested. If you're not here to defend yourself, that's the best time to talk shit. So there we go. Uh, we, right, we can exactly. run our mouths about Zach. I, I personally, and I've tried to tell him this many times, you you know this, the listening audience knows this, how much I, I think of, of Trevor Lawrence. I think equally as highly of Anthony Richardson and I'm starting to come around on CJ Stroud as well. So I'm a huge fan of all three guys. I know, we can just geek, we can spend a whole hour geeking about those guys and talking about how Zach is wrong. Um, yeah, I think that they're all well, I think I think one of them is fantastic already. I think two of them are well on their way to being fantastic. And yeah. the Titans uh, better figure it out eventually. Yeah, Here, here's what I here's what I would say about the quarterback. If Will Levis turns into any of those three players. Mm -hmm. Tennessee Titans fans will be ecstatic. How about that? Well, the AFC South is the Thunderdome then, right? Like yeah. it's going to be the talk of the national media forever because it'll be the best quarterback conference or division in the league. So how to approach Anthony Richardson, of course, now with what appears to be possibly Jonathan Taylor back on the field. What an incredibly difficult backfield to stop. So we'll get to that. The history of the Titans domination recently, at least over the AFC South. Can we expect that to continue, of course, this season? Uh, and again, sort of uh, not a not a temp check on where the season is because we're only a quarter of the way in. One one quick media pet peeve of mine. Uh, this is not the quarter pole of the season. If you know anything about horse racing, the quarter pole is the last quarter mm. of the race. Mm. So I hate the the headline at the power rankings at the quarter so pole. Does this like, make this the three quarter pole? I suppose that sounds like a personal problem is what that's. Yeah. Like. It sounds like you um, should find another, find another bit, find another angle. There you go. Uh, defensive and offensive lines. There's some things about these two teams that are actually mirror images of each other. Uh, and some things, a couple of different topics in specific that are very, very different. And we'll get to that. And there's going to be some weapons that the Titans could be getting back this week. There's a lot of reinforcements coming. So lots of fun stuff to do today on the show brought to you by sinkers beverages and Kingston group. If you want to, uh, search Uber Eats, of course. You can go right there on the app, search Uber Eats, and Sinkers will deliver the booze directly to your house, Easton. Yeah. 
They drive so you can drink. There we go. Look at that. Look at that. There's no drop off. The war, not at all. Easton, Easton's war is uh, equal to that of Zach Lyons. So uh, <laughs> there you have it. Uh, all right. So we want to spend the, the the beginning of this show talking about the Titans' offensive line, and it is real. It is related, of course, to the Colts matchup. But I wanted to give you guys something that we think, hopefully, you check back on at the end of the season and say, "Oh, those two knuckleheads were right about this." And that is sort of the strategy to deploy these players in the offensive line. And some back, some some context here, of course, those who don't know, NPF back on the practice field this week, Nicholas Petit Ferrer, their third round pick, five-star recruited Ohio State, who started 16 out of 17 games last season at right tackle. He is back uh, because the suspension for the NFL went from six games down to four games. So he's back. Dylan Radens, a couple of weeks now, he's been starting at left guard since the Chargers game, filling in for Peter Skaronsky, who's out with the appendectomy. Peter Skaronsky back at practice this week. Don't know if he's fully up to his weight that he needs to be and power and strength and everything after the issue, but that is what it is. I think that one's pretty self-explanatory. So we're going to work our way through what we think the Titans will do along the offensive line, not just for this weekend's game against the Colts, but long-term, and then what we think they should do. Different answers. Yeah, I'm going to start with the easiest one here, which is what I think they're going to do. Sure. Which is they ain't going to do a damn thing. Not this <laughs> week. Nope. They're going to they're going to run the same five guys out there. I think it's going to be and and if Skaronsky with the caveat that if Skaronsky is fully yes. ready to go, That's the he will be the starter. But do you think that they actually do anything? Again, we'll get to what we think they should do. But do you think they actually do anything different along the offensive line this week? No, absolutely not. They, there, there's no reason to. It would be forcing it. Um, you know, you get MPF back, but he's been away from the team away from practice for let's see it was supposed to be six weeks now four weeks right he's back um i'm sure he's done a decent job staying conditioned and and in the weight room and everything but he's even if he was perfectly ready to go it sounds like mike vrabel kind of a coy answer on him on monday in that press conference where he's like yeah kind of i like what chris moore's doing at right tackle um not typically the warm welcome back that you see from him kyle phillips in contrast yesterday He's asked about Kyle Phillips coming back. It's the typical line. We're excited to have Kyle back. Playmaker. Can't wait to get him back involved in the offense. With MPF, it's kind of like what Chris Moore is doing at right tackle, which was Chris uh, Hubbard. Chris Hubbard. Or Chris, what am I saying? Chris Moore. Yeah. Chris Hubbard yeah. at right tackle. And um, I, I think that that was his way of kind of sending the message. Hey, you, you got to earn this spot back. You messed up. You lost it. And Chris Hubbard has been serviceable at right tackle. And so, especially based on, it'd be a different story if at the end of last year, MPF was a, you know, a guy that looked like you could trust him on Island at the, at the tackle position, but he deteriorated down the stretch. And so coming into the season, the whole idea was, well, maybe he takes that year to leap. Maybe he becomes the guy that can, they can, you know, they can go ahead and write in pen. This is our tackle on the right side of the future. He's going to have to earn that spot back. I do think he does eventually, but this week. No, like you said, Skaronsky, if he somehow is miraculously from from last week, unable to even practice to this week, back to appropriate weight and strength and like feels ready to go, then you do like you put you slot him in. He is, in fact, your best lineman. So you do that. I just I'm kind of with you. I think I'd be really surprised if that's the case. I I think there's Rabel tends to be conservative when it comes to that's why it was so surprising that they pulled Xavier Newman Johnson out of the lineups after two drives in that week two game, filling in for Skaronsky. They went right to Raiden. If Rabel yanks you quick, you're doing a bad job. Yes, like, like bad, you are. Bad. Yes, very, very bad. And so I, I, my, my prediction is that the starting offensive line for now stays the same, with the caveat being Skaronsky. Of course, he'll be back in as soon as they deem him medically fit and and power, you know, with the strength and the weight and everything ready to go. And so Skaronsky's just sort of, the only one that we know will, like, the changes we're about to talk about are all maybes. Skaronsky will change, right? Like, by, as soon as he's, you, you don't think so? No, 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 I think, yeah, no, I think yes. Absolutely, he will be Is there another starter. one you think that they for sure will change? Uh, yes, absolutely. Okay, well then, th- let's get into that. Which then. gets right into what I think should happen. Okay. And M- I think MPF has this fascinating, like, the perception of how he played last year. Like offensive line, number one, offensive line as a position is having a difficult time at all levels of football. Offensive lines in the NFL, offensive lines at SEC football, highest levels of college, high school. I don't think they're being developed as well as they have been in the past. Next year's offensive line class does look very strong according to how they've played so far. But we're that we're talking about at that point, the top eight to ten players 
of 133 college football teams plus FCS and Division II. So you're talking about the top 1% of 1% that looks great. That's fine. That's not indicative of how the position is playing at whole. So I'm, it, doesn't, I'm, it doesn't help that every big freak athlete developing through the ranks of football is being put on the defensive yeah, line, yeah. right? Because because you got to attack the quarterback somehow now. Yep. Um, and it's just a difficult, like if you talk, to, I've talked to so many coaches about this NFL and college over the years, the toughest position to recruit and draft in, at both college and NFL levels to develop is the offensive line. It's just it, the, the bust rate is higher for offensive linemen huh. than anywhere else. Over you'll see, what? you'll see coaches take, cause it's just, it's so hard to see a guy's body develop, especially from 18 years old to 22. And then from 22 to 26, mm. it's just hard to, to see what the skills are. Whereas the, the, here's the other element to this seven on seven drills and tournaments that take place 12 months a year True. are why receivers are so evolved and why corners are so evolved and why quarterbacks and tight ends are so evolved and yeah, running backs. Yep. You don't get the trench warfare 12 months a year in football, yep. NFL or college or high school. Sure. So it takes a long time for these guys to develop long way of, of, of landing my NPF plane here, okay. which is that I think he actually showed me everything I needed to see from a third round pick with pedigree to be a starting lineman in the NFL. I saw some good. I saw some bad. I saw a little inconsistency. I saw a rookie wall, but I saw upside. I saw that all that stuff's what I wanted out of MPF last year. Yep. To me, this is what I, and this, this is what I think they should do. Dillard is number one in the NFL in, in sacks allowed. Number four in pressures allowed. He, Not great. He, he is as bad as Dennis Daly currently. And I know he just came off his best game, but he is, to me, I don't need to see any more. He was one of the few guys. I was one of the few people all summer saying, why are people just assuming Andre Dillard is going to do the job? And I think I've seen enough for them to give someone else a chance. But here's the, here's the other part of the reason I think this is where, why I think two positions will be changed. Maybe not this week, but soon. NPF and Skaronsky were the left tackle and left guard in practice this week. Yes, they would. As one yep. of the pairings. The other one, of course, was Andre Dillard and Dylan Radens. I don't think Dylan Radens is going to be left tackle material. I think, here's what I think is going to happen. Because I think Chris Hubbard, to your point, has earned the, the right to stay at right tackle for now. I think, for, for now. and I don't, even, I don't even know if I believe that when I say it. I'm actually lower on his play than most people. I think barely he has. But sure, let's let's roll with Con that. It sounds like the Titans think so. Continuity. They're giving him help. They know how to manage his skills. He's a yep. veteran. He is what he is. So uh, here's what here's what I think should happen slowly but surely. Number one, Skaronsky's back in at left guard. Whenever he's ready, boom, he's back in. Then I want an NPF Dillard Raidens competition at left tackle, which I think Dylan Raidens will not win. And I think it's going to end up being NPF versus Dillard at left tackle. And I think NPF is going to end up being the better player. So I think MPF ends up at left tackle, which is what I want to see them do. I just want to see them battle in practice, in a game. Just show us, see what it looks like. And maybe MPF's not ready week one to be physically up to, to speed. Maybe it needs to be week two next right. week. Ravens, bye week, who knows? Then I want to see Raidens eventually move over to right tackle and take Chris Hubbard's job if and when the Chris Hubbard thing starts to go the wrong direction. I mean, and and it's, okay. not a, it's not a reach to say that that's going to happen at some point throughout the season, right? Like... They've had to help him a lot. He's been okay. There's a chance it goes the, the opposite direction. Big, what I want, big injury. I mean, like we, he was a guy that before this season really didn't have a recent right. pedigree of playing more than I forget what it was like five games in a row. With, like he couldn't stay yeah. on the field consistently with his health. And so you, I'm actually more inclined to say he's a veteran. As long as he's healthy, you'll get this steady, mediocre level of play. But I don't think it'll last forever. He's bound to get hurt. So if you combine all of this with the bye week coming up after two more games with the tight ends being better and better at blocking as the season has gone along, this is a factor in all of this is that the tight ends are starting to show up a little bit more in, in sort in sort of win rates on at both pass and run blocking. Yep. What I want to see coming back from the bye week and no later is Nicholas Petit for left tackle, Peter Skaronsky at left guard, Aaron Brewer at center, Daniel Brunskill at right guard, Dylan Radens at right tackle, Chris Hubbard and Andre Dillard are your first two off the bench as swing players that can do a bunch of different things with tight ends chipping on both tackles if you need to. That is what I think is the best five offensive line for the Titans, and I think gives them the best chance to win as many games down the stretch as possible. Your thoughts? I'm about it. I say try it. Um, I, there, is a, there is an alternative version of that. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna use the same puzzle pieces and kind of mix and match a little bit that I think that you could make a strong argument for. I'm of split mind as to which of the two. I'm not like I'm not gonna pretend I know this one will be better than that. I think either of these things would be a welcome change, and they may not be perfect five for five, but I do want to see these guys in these roles. I question Dylan Raiden's ability to play tackle in general. I know we have a little sample size of him doing that at the NFL level in relief over the past couple of years, and he's done an admirable job. However, you you watch on tape, and I, I listen. This is the most important part. What I see um, is this, but then I, more importantly, I hear it from folks that I actually trust as offensive line evaluators more than me because um, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm an expert on these things. He doesn't have the the best requisite skill set to play tackle at the NFL level, not in terms of physical strength or f- physical um, measurements, but but his he's got kind of a, a similar profile to Dillard in the sense that his anchor is not great. He's not the strongest player in the world. He, he's his punch is pretty weak. He, he he's I think at best as a tackle, he will be, uh, you know, like we talk about with Dillard backing up into the pocket and absorbing pass rushers, then punching and creating space. Um, can that work? Like, can you work with that? Sure. But it's, it's not really a a plus player. I have been on this train since March and I think you're aware that I've been on this train since March. Peter Skronsky deserves a chance to cook outside. Wow. Let let him, let him try. It ain't going to happen. He, I know they're not going to. So that's like, this is why it's, it's, I'm going to continue to preach it. And the only way it, maybe it happens is because of injuries. I think there is a scenario in which you get to an injured state, not wishing this on the team where you kind of have to, but I really do think if you put, this would be the five that I'm arguing for from left to right. Skaronsky, Raidens, Brewer, Brunskill, uh, NPF. Part of the reasoning here is I do question NPF's ability to play on the left side. We always hear about, it's kind of rare for a guy to be as talented on one side as he is on the other. It's really not as simple as like you, you're it is on paper as simple as mirroring everything you're doing, but physically it's a difficult thing to get in your body. And a lot of times guys have a strength on one side or the other in college. We saw MPF play on the right side and the left side, and he was significantly better on the right side. That's why he came in and the Titans put him on the right side. Could he play left tackle? Sure. And he did it in college and he was fine. I think if he does end up being their solution there this season, which which is not crazy based on what we saw in practice this week, that may take a little bit for him to not have some real bust plays. Like I think that that opens the the door for that to happen. Um, And, and so like, I, I don't love the idea. I love the idea of replacing Dillard with anybody on the left, on the left side. So like it's, there are levels to this, right? Replace him with MPF. Sure. I'm about it because it is an improvement, but does it make it a, a good left I, side situation? I don't know about that. That's that's literally what I was about to say, which is, so what makes MPF, I, I agree with you on Raiden's being, he doesn't have sort of left tackle, anchor tackle ability. I think he's better than Hubbard at right tackle. I think he's an upgrade uh, okay. slightly. So I think he's got more, I think he's got enough athletic ability and he's young enough to, to be, to be good in that spot or better than Hubbard. I, I don't necessarily agree with you on Skoronsky. I think he is a I think he is sort of a tried and true guard. And this is where I I don't like going all the way back to high school recruiting rankings. It's not what I'm I'm not using that as like to lean on this and say that's why MPF will be good. Sure. And that's why but Skoronsky was again number one interior offensive lineman coming out of high school, five star prospect, was the best interior offensive lineman during his career at Northwestern, was the number one interior guard drafted in the draft. He is already grading out in his first game, played one game in the NFL. Grading out as one of the better guards in the NFL. He is a guard, and I think he's going to play left guard for 10 years for this team. It doesn't mean I he's not. I actually agree, and I'll let you finish, but I have a response to this. It doesn't mean he doesn't deserve a chance, and I'm okay if they try it. That's fine because D- Dillard might be bad enough that they need to try something. And D Good says this those are your best five MPF, Skaronsky, Brewer, Brunskill, Raidens. We kind of agree with that. We all agree um, on the five. It's the yeah, right. It's, it's, it's where they go. And NPF was. Like there are certain guys that have left tackle pedigree and MPF had left tackle pedigree his entire career. Mm-hmm. He had left tackle pedigree at Ohio state. He had left tackle pedigree as a recruit. He had left tackle pedigree in practice this week True. because, because they, Tim Kelly said today, I believe he said, I I'm comfortable with MPF playing both sides. Maybe not this week, but the, I think the entire point of taking NPF in the third round 
is to get him used to NFL football, get him up to speed as a right tackle for maybe two seasons, maybe one season, whatever it takes. And then he is the guy who has the upside and athletic talent that few that few people have to play left tackle. And if you need to help him out, maybe it takes two years to get to a point where he's a true starting left tackle in the NFL above average. That may be the that may be the journey that we're on here. Is he better today than Andre Dillard? He may not be good. He may not be upper half of the NFL. Right. But he's but he's probably better than Dillard. Relative so, terms, baby. Better so is a relative term. So I don't think you I don't think if you have a coaching staff, you don't come out and say, yes, you're as good at left side and right side. I trust you on both sides. You certainly don't practice him on the left side if you're not going to at least see if he can do it. And I think that is why, again, I would say throw him out there now, because mm -hmm. if like the Colts have a pretty decent defensive line, we'll get into the matchup in a second. But you get two games to learn. You get two games of film against two pretty good defensive fronts in Indianapolis and Baltimore, then you get a bye week to sort of recalibrate everything. And I think that serves you better in the last two months of the season is to get out, even if you struggle and lose, because as we're going to talk about, if this Titans team wins on Sunday and beats the Colts, they are, in my opinion, based on my expectations alone, ahead of schedule already in 2023. So mm. I think you've got some wiggle room here to let MPF learn for two games on the fly. That's just my opinion as a non-talent evaluator, just watching the team from the outside in. So there you go. I agree with a lot of what you're saying, and we, we can move on from this conversation. The last thing, I, the last thing I'll say about Skaronsky, you used as your rebuttal to him playing outside, he is a guard. And I'm not even saying that I don't think he is. I'm pretty agnostic. I think that he has the, a better floor and ceiling as a guard than he does as a tackle. The reason behind me continuing to call for them to give him a shot has as much to do with what I think he's capable of as what the rest of this team is capable of. Yeah. And I'm of the belief he has the highest ceiling at left tackle of anybody that's currently on this roster. Maybe I'm too low on MPF's ability to switch back over to that left side. Like you said, he has pedigree. Year two, maybe he makes that leap and is able to translate to the left side where he's played before. But if what I think is going to be the case with him is the case with him, I'm of the belief that your best option at the most important position on the line is Peter Skaronsky. Again, we're talking about relative terms here. Best does not mean good. Right. Maybe he is a shaky league average, slightly below league average left tackle. But a, a, philo you know, a fundamental philosophy that I know is talked about a lot on this show, on, on Music City Audible, on Hot Read Podcast, on uh, football and other F words, you, you cannot in the NFL really week over week, long-term be viable as a team with a problem at both tackle positions. You have to be yeah. decent at least at one. I, and that's kind of the, that's where I'm trying to get with this team as I'm mentally trying to fix the puzzle pieces. How can I get to where I can consistently slide help to one end of my line because I know the other one will at least be decent enough to handle things on their own. Yeah. Yeah. And I, no, I agree with that. And I do think in general, if you have such a massive hole, you need to try everything you got. Yes. If that includes, and I'm if all that for, includes, as you said in the past, try shit, right? Just every shit. week, mix and match. <laughs> let's, let's, until something works. I think, Quit I think your head against the wall. I think if you want to do it like in simple, like Madden terms, like just to try to understand the math of it all. And I think this is a point that other people have made. And like if Skaronsky is an 86 left guard, mm -hmm. but a 78 left tackle. Well, if you move him to left tackle, you might be devaluing two positions mm. because MPF, you see what I'm saying? Like, like sure. Raiden, Raiden's is a drop off at left guard and Skaronsky is a drop off at left tackle. So you might be devaluing two positions, even though you might be a little bit more balanced. That's fair. Do you, do you want like an 89 left guard and a 75 left tackle However, versus that is, two that versus two eighties? That's operating under the assumption that they're going to go with your full. Like, I think that it, what is likely to happen long term with this team this season that is, is they do a little bit of what you're wanting to see. You know, like you're you've got a lot of orders of operation in your changes. You know, let's get let's move MPF to yep. the left side. Let's yep. move Raidens from the left interior to the right exterior. Let you know. Let's get Skaronsky back in there. That's, you know, the, the devaluing of posi two positions is under the assumption 
that you're not taking Raidens out of the lineup entirely. You are moving him to that tackle spot. I think it's very fair that he may be the guy on the bench. And then are you, you know what I mean? Are you, the math changes. Yeah. 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 I think so my, it's funny you say order of operations. That's like literally what I wrote down. Like number one is Hubbard stays put for now. Mm -hmm. And, and one a is Skaronsky's in when available. And those two, so so basically, from left guard to right tackle is all the same for me. Right. It's, it's to me. It's then you have Raiden's NPF and Dillard battling for left tackle. Yes. See see which cream rises to the top. Sure. And and then at that point you go back to right tackle order of operation and say, all right, Chris Hubbard versus loser of left tackle battle, <laughs> right? Like right, right, if, right. If MPF wins the job, then great. I think that's what you want as a Titans fan is for him to sit there for for this year and to learn and to get better and to develop. And if you need to put Raider or Wesco or whoever over there to help him chip with Spears, great. And then if Raidens can take some of the pressure off having to help Hubbard, even better. So, but like, that is exactly what it is. It's or Completely it's, agree. That's the order. On the right side of your ship, you've got water seeping in slowly through the cracks. On the left side, you have a cannonball-sized hole Bingo. with water gushing in. You need to address <laughs> that first. Bingo. Yeah, That's exactly right. A, a good Pirates of the Caribbean reference uh, to end the conversation. So that that is, uh, again, I wanted to have sort of a, a longer term conversation about the offensive line before we get into the Colts game. Cause we'll talk a little sec football as well. Uh, of course, the football show brought to you by sinkers beverages and the Kingston group. Remember those two great local companies. Anytime you're hanging out with 440 sports or a football show, uh, of course, Easton in for Zach today, we do appreciate it. You guys jump into the comments. So here's, I found it really interesting. I'll, I'll lay out sort of a couple of different things here before we get to the actual matchups. Uh, first of all, the Titans are the third best team inside their own division over the last three seasons. They have been dominant in this division, five and one against Colts. They've won five straight. No shock, shock there. Arden Key talked about it. They're going to get their best shot. This is a very different Colts That's team. That's confusing stat. You, you lost me there at first. So third best of all the teams in the NFL within their own division. Yeah, they have. The that third... sounded like third best in their division. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. So okay. That's. The clarity I there, saying. I think, is important. So five and one against the Colts, four and two against Jacksonville, four and two against Houston. Over yes. the last three seasons, they are 13 and five in their division. Very that good. is the third best divisional record in the NFL. Love that. Great way of phrasing it. Dominating their division. And a big part of that is Derrick Henry, by the way. So we'll get to that in a second, because mm -hmm. Derrick Henry uh, basically gets like half of his yards against the <laughs> against the <laughs> AFC South. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, and that's not even a joke. It's like half. Yes. Um, so they've won five straight against the Colts. And our, what Arden Key talked about is that we are going to get their best shot. At, they're at home. They are new everywhere. New head coach, new quarterback, new pieces all over the team. So that could that could help the Titans in that they weren't there for all the losses. But it could help the Colts in that they are bringing something totally different to the table. So the AFC South domination has been the reason this team was in a playoff game in weeks 18 last year. Was right. the way they play inside the division. And last year, two losses to Jacksonville was the reason they didn't eventually win the division. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't you can't win in the NFL if you don't first address priority number one, which is your your division. And the Titans have done that the past couple of years. It's the reason why they were almost three time reigning champions of the division. Um, I, I I do love keep phrasing it in that way. Going to get the Colts best shot. Um, I, it, it's a, a, a funny way, you know, fans could exaggerate it and be like, this is the Colts Super Bowl, and it's not, but in a way, the Colts have lost the Titans. What, how many times in a row five, now? Five like, straight, yeah, yeah, okay, so five straight. There is an element of, I, th I think this is a game that the, the Colts as a team is kind of circling. Of course, you're circling all divisional games because they are important, but this one in particular, it's time for them to get off the schneid, and the, the Titans are wise to. Uh, recognize that inclination. Um, where do we want to start with this? Well, what, let me. What, is it the trenches more, that we want to start with? Yeah, I do want to do. Let me ask you one more thing about the, okay. the situation. I I find college football to be a sport that is driven by emotion and human element. Right. Are you at home? Did you get up for this game? Are you prepared? Uh, yeah. Let let down alert. Look ahead factor. These are things that that dictate a lot of what happens in college football. The entire point of the NFL is to remove all of that garbage. Right. And I and I think it takes sort of rare situations. I think it's more individualized. I think in college, it's full teams hating full other teams. In the NFL, it's like Geno Smith returning to play the Giants and wanting to whoop them but even individually. Then, I, maybe. Even then, I think, I think it takes a rare situation for emotion to help dictate an NFL outcome. 
because these are millionaire professionals who are paid to eliminate emotion and be at the top of their performance on every snap. Like, like that is why you make money is to perform at a hundred percent at all times. Yeah, they are still and we, human. And we, and exactly. But the, this is the whole point. You are paid to remove the human element in the NFL. That sure. is the job. The job is to remove the human element. And so I think it takes rare situations. Like if you've lost 14 straight to a team, or maybe it's a, it's a week 18 playoff game. Like we had last year with the Titans and Jags. Like, I think it takes, do you think the Titans weren't emotional about beating the Bengals last week? I I think it was tied directly to their performance against Cleveland. I I think it was not about. I think. Yeah, I disagree with you on that. It, I, I, I don't think there, it's. I don't think it's everything. I think it certainly is. Die. You know, if if college is a ten, the NFL is a four on the emotional scale. But I think it still exists. Like, does Jeffrey Simmons play harder in any given game because it's the Bengals and they lost to them? And and that's what I'm saying. Maybe that's the rare situation. Is three play harder? Losses. Maybe no. Prep harder? Sure. I mean put more hours in like during the week, you're laser focused. You have like, the, you know, isn't the, that tied to, isn't that tied to sucking ass the week before though? More like I'm, I'm just, more. I'm I think, I think it's, I think it's both. I think it's both. I mean, look at the most famous NFL player of the, of my lifetime, Tom Brady, dude's a psychopath. Like he was driven by finding a way to put a chip on his shoulder each and every week and be slighted even when there was no slight. But isn't that the, my the, point? The bet. That, that it doesn't matter what the situation is. He's going to be at the highest possible level. Isn't that, isn't I, that I, making my point for me? I see what you're, I see what you're saying. I, I'm using that as an example of NFL players can, can feel slighted in certain circumstances and coaches, I think uh, apply to apply to the same, the same uh, logic. I, I don't know. I, we're, the, ultimately we're never going to, we're never going to get an answer on this. So it's, you know, well, I, I mean, I like, so let's go back to the, I think your, your point about the Bengals is interesting. Like, let's say, I mean, I'm willing to give it. This is what I mean by rare situation. You get upset at home in a playoff game for a team that goes to the Super Bowl, right? That that is, that's what the Bengals did to the mm -hmm. Titans two years ago. You've lost three straight. Sure. So, like, do I think it was a small percentage of how they played? I'm fine with giving them. Uh, that's part of this these rare situations where it impacts your play. But Jordan did the same thing that Brady did. Jordan would seek out disrespect. When you right. seek out disrespect, that's not that's not you bringing the human element in. That's your process, right? Like that's just part of your process as a player to get to max ability. Well, it's certainly I, easier to to find the disrespect when that it actually exists, and you don't have to manufacture it. And so, like when sure. when you're getting beat up on, like the Bengals did with the Titans, when Ted Karras is walking out of the stadium a year ago, yelling at your fans, telling Nashville to go fuck itself, like. That that's a situation where you're remembering that on Monday morning at practice, you don't think the Titans players are like, hey, we're playing the Bengals this week, like practice 10 sure. percent harder <clears throat> today, tomorrow, the next day, watch 10 percent more film like that's I think that's a part of it. Uh, Zach, Zach, thanks for chiming in. Zach, Zach, Zach. Lyons, that guy uh, says, uh, I mean, TR Tart dropped knees on body parts, which is a dirty play, by the way. Emotion mattered to the Bengals, to the defense. And again, my argument is that the defense as a collection of millionaire professionals was pissed off about their performance against Cleveland more than they were pissed off about Cincinnati. We have no way to answer that question. Okay, But making it more doesn't mean it doesn't exist. If it, if, if their motivation is 45% pissed off from last week, 30% pissed off from history with this team and whatever percentage else is I, the sure. rest of the thing. Like I, I'm I just, just arguing that it is an element. It's not, it's not the element, which is your point. It's I think it just element. takes. I think you are the your paycheck in the in the game of football in particular. Sure. It's not that way in any other sport where you have like 162 games and 181 games and all these just like so many different nights of ups and downs in NFL football where you have 17 moments where you have to go out and for 60 minutes do your effing job to the max ability on every play. That consistency is why you make money. Sure. That is it. There's no other reason. Be where you're supposed to be. Give max effort play as hard as you possibly can because you will lose your job if you do not do that. And I think that is the whole point of this, this non, you know, the no guaranteed contracts and the collective bargaining agreement is so that the NFL owners can keep players in that position where they have to give max effort to keep their job. Otherwise you're fucking out of there. And so that's why to me, I don't think this like home field advantage matters way more in college rivalries matter way more in college the emotion of your situation the week before and the week after matters way more in college because they're 18 to 22 year old kids who don't make any money. 
Well, some money. Uh, the NFL players. I'd get, like to make their version of no yeah, money. Please sign yeah, me up. No, no money. Yeah, no, I agree. The NFL pays you to take all of that out of the equation. That is why you make all that money. And right. I'm not saying that Jeffrey Simmons wasn't a little extra pissed because he sacked Joe Burrow three times in, in 2021. And then Burrow got to play in the Super Bowl. Like, I'm not saying that didn't motivate him a little bit, but I think right. they're pretty rare situations in the NFL. And I think to, back to the Colts, I am curious how much this matters to Anthony Richardson. The five game losing streak means nothing to him. Does it mean something to Jonathan Taylor or is he actually more motivated by the fact that he's had this whole off season of contract disputes and maybe he's back in his first game. But, but, and today he he steps to the podium and he says, look, I'm committed. I wouldn't be here if I wasn't committed. I'm ready to go. I'm a hundred percent. So maybe we see now explain the last three months. I I, look, I actually understand him saying I'm here. I'm focused on the Colts. I'm focused on the community. I'm going to play as hard as I can. And then at the end of the season, I'm going to get my bag. Like I don't have any problem with that. As a as an objective observer, I would have a problem with that if he'd said like I and I ultimately I like do what you want to do like it's your money it's your life. Say that three months ago if that's what you were ultimately going to fold into doing like that you you folded. Sorry, I I I guess yeah. I don't. I mean, I think you can argue that it was dumb of him to make a stand in the beginning because he had no leverage. I think that's a fair argument. But if you're going to do it, double down, (laughs) double and triple down. Don't fold three months later. I don't know. They're, they're all of a sudden, there's a lot of players that show up, and all of a sudden, the paycheck's on the line, and they take they take the paycheck, as most of us do, by the way. Like, yeah, it turns oh, out you, you're probably you're probably everything. right. Yeah. So I do think this becomes trench trench warfare as it does. Let's talk about the Colts now. About the with every Titans game, I think uh, number one, let's start on the defensive side for the Colts, which is how do we, we just talked about the offensive line? It's a major problem. Uh, listen, they have six players with more than one sack. How? What does that mean? Titans have three players with more than one sack. So just as a point of reference, that's Deep. the difference. Uh, DeForest Buckner, Quiddy Pay, Zaire Franklin, Leonard. The front seven, I think, is better than people think. And I think they've been getting pressure. And I think Dillard is going to have some problems if he is, in fact, the starter, which I think he will be. So Hang on. you think Andre Dillard's going to have some problems in an NFL game? <laughs> Who are they playing? Because that, that definitely dictates my opinion yeah. of whether he's going to have problems or not. Oh, it's an NFL team? That's all I need to know. Yeah, here's the interesting thing. What makes them so similar, at times you look at these two teams and you go, man, they're kind of similar. Uh, they don't blitz at all. The Colts do not blitz. Dead last in the NFL in blitz percentage. That is something the Titans have made their entire brand about. Neither one of these two teams wants to blitz, but they don't. But they both create pressure that way. So that's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. And then the other thing is, but they don't stop. They don't turn around and stop the run the way the Titans do. And that 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 is a. I think they're going to pressure Tannehill, and I think they're going to get after him. But I think the running game is how you stop that. And Derrick Henry again. This is according to Paul Kaharski. Over the last three seasons, half of Derrick Henry's rushing yards have come in divisional games. And if you do math, it's only about a third of the games. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so yeah, he's he is way more productive against the South than he is anybody else. Well, it helps when you get to play the Texans run defense and the Jaguars run defense and at times the Colts run defense like it. You know, I I, I think if the Titans weren't in the division of those teams and periodically played those teams over the past couple of years, we would look back and say, Oh, look, just happens to be these three teams. He's getting a lot of yards against. He's still running for 200 yards and four touchdowns. Every time he goes and plays Houston. I I agree. I think that there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a mix of young and old, but the the youth in particular on the the Colts front defensively, I've been impressed by Quiddy pay has started to come into his own, looked like what we thought he could be coming out of Michigan. Grover Stewart for for Titans fans that aren't familiar, like he, you know, he's the he's the Colts tier tart. He's their run stuffing um, defensive lineman who has had some ups and downs this year, but as a whole, I think is a very good player. DeForest Buckner is still DeForest Buckner. He's yeah. going to cause havoc, wreak havoc on the Titans offensive line for sure. I think it is a on the whole a, a more difficult challenge than what Cincinnati um, presented to you last week. I, I, at least in the in the the pass protection game, um, I think the Titans will be able to run on this team. That you know, like like you mentioned, they they've been able to uh, the, the Colts have, have allowed more rushing than the Titans have, and I felt like last week the Titan and maybe you know we kind of felt like this in the Chargers game as well. That Chargers game and then Cleveland, everything didn't work, and then again last week against the Bengals, you, you saw the splits between Spears and Henry. You saw how they were utilizing them. Uh, last week, utilizing Henry in that kind of sh- like Kaharski really zeroed in on this week, that short pitch um, play style where you're you're pitching the ball to him, but not trying to get the edge. It's not a slow developing play. It's a pitch to the inside. He finds the hole, hits the hole and gets downfield. That was working really well for them last week. 
I think with, you see with, a, with with motion. I'm going to channel my inner Zach Lyons here indeed. with motion with motion. Yeah, just to to no side of the line in particular. Um, oh, you're you're talking about the, the motion of the players. Yeah, you, I, use, I was going to say with, with some with with some pulling of particular offensive. No, no, no. Well I meant to help some other particular offensive line. I, I meant uh, pre-snap Shanahan type motion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cheat motion, absolutely. Yeah, so they they're starting to do that more. They're starting to find way creative ways pulling certain offensive linemen to help other certain offensive linemen that is kind of comical, <laughs> but it's working. So whatever. Yep, yep. Um, so yeah, I think that they will, they will continue to find their stride running the ball. That won't be an issue. That's not concerning me. It is that pass rush and it is the Titans. Um, you know, it, it is kind of a weakness on weakness in the sense that I don't really trust this Titans offensive line to protect the pass very well, but I also don't trust this secondary of the Colts to defend very well. We've talked a lot this year about how the Titans wide receiver core, they've done some good things, but they haven't been able to get open quickly, consistently. Yeah. Their separation has been fine at the end of the day, but the quickness of their separation, their short area quickness, um, it, it's been lacking. And that's, you know, I, I like Kyle Phillips coming back this week. Uh, that that's, was that my that's very what he next... brings to the table. We can get into that, but, that but in general, this, this offense or this, uh, this wide receiver core, this is the week if you're going to kind of change that trend and start getting open open quicker against this secondary, you should be able to. That that was my very next question, which is if you're going to use the quick short passing game, you need someone that is in the in in small spaces that has that agility, and that is what Kyle Phillips brings to the table. Yes, he keeps breaking. Why should he, I care that he's coming back? If he's right? available, he's just gonna break. He's a bad player. If he's available, you play him. And how do I know if, he's better than Mason Kinsey? This is what I've well, been asking. Because Kyle Phillips is on the team, and Mason Kinsey isn't. So. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> I just yeah. I don't know. That seems like a good indication. <laughs> uh, but but I, that's a that's a that's a potential solution. The thing that they have not had. That's probably why Spears has been so effective because Spears is one yes. of the few guys that actually does that for this offense. He's been the clo- he Spears has the closest to Kyle Phillips unique skill set on this yeah. team of anybody else. The way that they've started to use Spears in that cheap motion, like Zach mentioned, and you mentioned, I- I'm excited to see what they do with Kyle Phillips in that way. Not that Kyle Phillips, I, I would imagine Spears has, has Phillips beat in straight line speed and, and general shiftiness, you know, Phillips is not your yak monster. He's your get open guy, your third down chain mover. But I think both of those players can be used in creative ways. And Tim Kelly's proven himself to be willing to try creative things offensively. I'm excited to see how they use him because I don't know. I don't know if it was Zach on this show or Zach on a football, another F words or Mike Herndon on football, another F words. I I think it was Zach on football, another F words yesterday, but it was Zach somewhere. You really should watch all our shows because they're all great. Um, he was talking about how people are kind of assuming Kyle Phillips returning, assume, you know, assuming he can play more than one game and stay healthy, is going to be your third down, only third down, you know, primary third down receiver. And while I, I think it's fair to say that's probably going to be his role initially, that's probably going to be the, the most important element of his role. This Titans team, for the first time in a couple of years, mind you, has shown a willingness this season to expand the role of that third wide receiver. And I think that that's going to apply to Kyle Phillips. They weren't coming into, when they were coming into the season with him healthy, planning on how they were going to utilize him in this offense. He throwed him on first down. Yes, he was going to be thrown to on more than third down. He was going to be on the field for more than third down. He's going to be your easy bucket guy. Get a bucket, right? He's your, your good, maybe not the best player on the team. Uh, You hear about this a lot in basketball, but it's like when you need a bucket, who's your get a bucket guy? Kyle Phillips is your get a bucket guy. Well, he needs to be. Um, when he's healthy, so, right when he's on the and, and again he is back and apparently nobody's excited about it according to Karski. so we'll see uh we, we shall see I, I i would love to see kyle phillips on the field more often um at that that first down throwing the ball Re- return game okay we'll see i don't know uh, i'm out really, no stop really, i know zach's really out on this as well i hate to compare zach but no stop throw him the football is what i'm getting at here uh of yeah. course so I, I think i think the offense is let tim kelly continue to build on himself if that's that's the weirdest phrase, but like yeah. he's stacking games, he's stacking plays. They certainly need to show some emotional balance on the road. They have not done that yet because the offense has been atrocious in both road games. So speaking of sort of eliminating the human element, they need to show that it's not just being at home and being against these weird defense. Like you need to do it against a quality front seven. This one, again, the Colts are giving up almost 130 yards rushing. You're giving up 70. That's d- double, almost double the amount of yards rushing. Yep. Run the football throw the ball into space, quick, short passing game. 
chip on the tackles if you need to. It's kind of going to be this way. I do think the promise and the optimism for Titans fans is that you're starting to see position groups kind of get a little bit better and a little bit more comfortable in the offense. I think the tight end group is coming around. I know Herndon wrote about that. Uh, you see the receiving core coming around other than Traylon Burks, who needs to be healthy and catching passes and the, and using the running backs the way you're supposed to. So you're starting to see it all kind of build upon itself. You just need to see it now consistently week in and week out, and especially on the road, which brings us to the other side of the ball. Building a win, of course, brought to you by the Kingston Group. The other side of the ball is, this is, to me, this is all about tackling in space, in particular for Jack Gibbons and Aziz Alshair. If you are going to be, like, Jack Gibbons is getting all kinds of reviews this week. We talked about him on Monday. You've talked about him. He's played well. He's played better than people expected. But you are not going to get a bigger test than Jonathan Taylor, should he play, and Anthony Richardson, the most athletic quarterback but in by definition that's ever played in the NFL at home in like what could be an RPO system. Like you're never going to be pressured more than the way those two linebackers. And I would add two more players to that. Elijah Molden and Amani hooker who have to come up and run support. They have to tackle in space with these two guys in particular. And number two, you got to force Anthony Richardson to throw the football. Yeah, no, absolutely. You do. I think it's a heat check moment for the linebacking core. Absolutely. I think if the Colts are wise, they will intentionally be targeting guys like Jack Gibbons. Um, you know, Kenneth mentions in the comments here, not to take it in a totally different direction, but I, I wanted to mention this as well. This is a, a popular thing I'm seeing talked about today, and I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Richardson's ability with his leg, you, you could not, I mean, there is not a bigger difference maybe in the entire league going from broken Joe Burrow on one leg last week <laughs> who physically could not move yeah. and create anything in the pocket to, like you said, on paper, the most athletically gifted quarterback we've ever seen in the history of the league. You're going to have to attack it from a contain, don't kill situation, capture, don't kill kind of deal like the Titans have implemented with varying levels of success in the past against guys like Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes. So the, the game plan, they've done, they've tried this before. They know what they're trying to do on paper. And I, I really don't think it changes a ton with Richardson, but what does maybe change game to game besides just your general plan of attack is the personnel usage. You, you get guys like Travis Gibson and Caleb Murphy in the building this year. Murphy to I'm not, I'm not really, well, let me, let me read like, so Kenneth, so those listening on yeah. the podcast, Kenneth says really hoping we see an increase in Travis right. Gibson and Caleb Murphy. Vrabel stated he would, but what he says in press conferences doesn't always make it to the field. I think your point is, is that if you can get a little bit more athletic ability off the edge and, and keep those guys fresh, you're going to be doing a lot of chasing and a lot of containing. You need to get more bodies out there. Is what well, and the, but the name of my concern is Harold Landry. And as much as I, I'm not a Harold Landry yeah. hater, like Zach and, and Mike have been historically, <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not a truther either. I think he's a good player. I, I'm pretty middle of the road as to what I expect from him. And this season, obviously expectations are low because he's coming back from the ACL. You have to do the time there. Understood. He's looked better each each week, but again, better being a relative term. He's yep. it's still been lackluster. He's still not really been a plus player at best. He's just not been costing them out there. A lot of the snaps that I watch on film last week, he looked his best, but it was against a statuesque pocket passer yep. in yep. the past. In these game scripts like the Titans are going into with Indianapolis, we saw a lot of the Titans leaning on Daryl Derrick Henry. What Harold Landry's. um. Uh, athletic ability his 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 ability to with his legs with, with his strength i'm struggling basically he was a, a safety net for them to contain these quarterbacks because he was athletic enough to hang yeah and i i just don't i have no faith that he is that right now and i want to see less of him in this game in particular because of that let guys like gibson um, maybe Murphy well, to a lesser extent, that, get so out I there guess, and, and lean on Arden Key. Arden Key is is that way right now. Yeah, I have yeah. way more faith um, in him. I don't know. They couldn't get they couldn't get to Deshaun. I don't know why if they can't get to Deshaun, how they're not going no, to. No, no, no. They got there. Anderson. They just couldn't tackle him. They I, got there. That's what I'm saying. Deshaun they Watson to, is. They need, to, they need to learn to tackle. That, that's what I'm saying. Watson is slower and smaller, and they couldn't do it. Uh, so I'm concerned about that. Here's what I here's what the curious thing though. Two two ripple effects to that conversation. One is. When does Landry, when is Landry affected? Clear passing downs, eight yards and plus, like clear. Mm -hmm. If you are in second and four, 
third and five and less, sure. yeah, yeah. that is where Richardson's dual threat ability is most dangerous and yep. his athletic ability is most dangerous. So maybe that's when you make a switch. The problem with Gibson and Murphy, honestly, and this is what's crazy because this is what makes Richardson special. I think Richardson is going to go right at those guys if they're in the game. So that creates a different problem because he's going to use power if he if those guys are out there because he's bigger <laughs> than those two guys, which is right, which is which is bonkers to me. The yes. other thing, it, the other thing it does is it's what it does in theory to your interior defensive line is it probably slows their disruptive up the field push. Like if you're going to yep. try to do the whole like stay in your lanes and play contain ball then you have to stay at home. You're not going to be stunting those tackles out wide unless it's designed. You're never going to go off script if you're Tart and Autry and Simmons. You're going to stay within the tackle box so that he can't just go up the middle on quarterback draws or break the pocket or whatever. So th that does slow down their ability to get pressure, which then gives Richardson more time. But that is, to me, the game plan. Give Richardson time to throw because he is not as accurate as any of the other players they normally play against. So I'm okay with giving him time to throw. Then it becomes, can you cover anybody? <laughs> sure. And, and, and I, I will say, I think that the Colts are by necessity going to have to lean on that athletic ability of Richardson more this week because of the situation they have protecting him up front. If they had their starting offensive line and the way that they've been playing the season, I would actually say this is going to be a really low sack opportunity day for the Titans. Bet the unders. I'm not sure they get home more than like once. They're going to get opportunities in this game, I think, because you're you're down Bernard Raymond on that left side. You know, no, your backup left tackle. Um, I believe it's rookie Blake Freeland out of BYU. I, I think he's the one that's filling yeah. in right now. Um, certainly a player that I was actually kind of fond of in the draft, but not one you want to be playing right now by any means. Ryan Kelly, I know that he's in concussion protocol. I don't. I think the understanding is he's going to be back, but the, the point is they have a really banged up offensive line situation, so. I think the interior is is um, there, there's a weakness there. I think that there's going to be opportunities for Simmons and Tart and Autry to really muck some stuff up on the inside and create that pocket to collapse. And then it's going to be yep. on those guys on the end to keep the rat in the cage, keep the guy from scurrying away and slipping through and, and busting off a big run. It'll be interesting to see. I think the Colts offensive. I think the Colts have been better across the board than expected and than last year. Not wide um, receiver. Everything else, yes. That's true. I've that's true. And it's underwhelmed not, by the. And it's not board. just. Um, it's not just personnel differences in the coaching change. It's sort of just they've some of the same players have gotten back to sort like even the offensive line is back to sure. being. Michael not, Pittman not, looks like a, I mean he looks like he's proven us wrong. Looks like a one. Looks great. Well, Josh yeah. Downs and Alec Pierce have looked bad. That's true. Um, no, no one of one of us on this show has been a pro Michael Pittman guy his entire career, but that's, that's I regret. Me. Here's the thing. Pittman Excuse was me. my guy in the draft that season. And then in the years since I've, I fell out of favor and I, it turns out I sold my stock too early. So I, I can't well, really claim him, but I did have him at one point and then I threw it away. This is Traylon Burks though. Like you are a product of more than just your own athletic ability and your yeah, own talent. You're sure. a product of the system. You're a product of the quarterback. You're a product sure. of injuries. Uh, and Michael Pittman has been very productive with garbage systems and garbage quarterbacks for the last few years. And now we're seeing a guy with an actual quarterback and an actual system. So either that? way, either way, we shall see what happens. Uh, here's the here's the real question. And the, the 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 value of this game to me is if the Titans can go up and win this game, they are playing with house money in London against Baltimore. Yep. They are ahead yep. of schedule. I had them two and four. If they go win this game on on Sunday and they continue their dominance of this franchise, continue their dominance in the AFC. We see the offense sort of play more consistently on the road. The defensive line plays inspired football and Derrick Henry's good and et cetera, et cetera. All the things we've talked about. If they win the game, they are ahead of where I had them in the preseason. And that's just my personal expectations. I'm not, if you had them, you know, if Easton, you had them four and two, or if a fan had them five and one, we can talk about if that's crazy or not. If I was going two and four, I would be wrong and they would be ahead of schedule. Right. I, I did not have them beating Cincinnati. They, 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 that one changes how we view the first chunk of the season. And if they go win this game, it, it gives them a little flexibility in the back half of their schedule. And it puts them ahead of where I expected them to be, which I think if you're a Titans fan, you have to be excited about, you have the opportunity to do that. Yeah. I'm close to where you are. I think that if they win this game, they are already on schedule regardless of what happens. So I had them at 500 through those first six games, I, I felt like they would win one of their AFC North matchups. I didn't think it'd be like that, but they right. did win one of them. I thought that they'd win one of their first two. 
Um, and, and then I, I, you know, I kind of did pencil this in as a win, getting an, a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback early, the timing of it advantageous to a Titans team with more continuity at those key positions. So if they win this game, I'm with you that they're playing with the house money in Baltimore and you are in a, in my opinion, a no lose situation all told come the buy, right? If you go to Baltimore or you go to London to play Baltimore and you it's get a home beat, game beat pretty handily. Yeah. Home game. Forgot if you, if you play from home thousands of miles away against Baltimore and, <laughs> and lose the game, even if yeah. it's, you know, as long as it's not a total Cleveland shellacking, then you're fine. You're three and three. You got through what is largely considered the most difficult stretch of your schedule. There's a lot of red meat on the other side of that buy. You get mm -hmm. to regroup. It gives you an opportunity to not panic and address your personnel, your personal like needs internally, mixing and matching guys on the offensive line, getting guys healthy and deciding when you want them to come back at skill positions. All of those things over the buy, you don't feel this panic of like we talked about preseason, you know, do you consider a quarterback change? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The offensive line's a disaster. Do you consider really shuffling the deck? Like they can be more prudent about it in that way. So this, you know, if the, the difference in what London means hinges on this game alone, yeah. if they yeah. lose this game, London becomes really important. Falling to two and four is not the end of the world, but you really would like that game. And knowing the Titans yeah. odds are they'll probably lose this week and then somehow be, be and be Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That makes that, that, that totally tracks. Um, yep. and no, I agree. I had them beating the saints and the Colts because everybody had them beating the Colts because the Colts sure. were one of the worst teams in the league last year, but that ain't how the NFL works and things change very quickly. And so again, I think you've got the, the offense playing really efficient football twice and really terrible football twice. You've got the defense playing pretty good football most of the time and then a couple of lackadaisical performances in, in the second half against Cleveland in particular you are looking for that to be ironed out over the course of the second half of the season yes to just quit with the greatest offensive showing in two years and the worst offensive showing in 50 years you got to get that out of the system it's got to be got to find consistent. a level yes 100 yeah, you, you can't ride the roller coaster all right so are you, you got a prediction for everybody i hate predictions but you got one yeah i hate predictions um i'm gonna predict that in 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 silent protest of predictions, I'll say the Titans win um, like nine to four. <laughs> I like it. I like yeah. it. Uh, 11 to nine Colts. <laughs> okay. All I don't right. know how they get to 11. I, I was no trying idea. to think of like the most reasonable low scoring score agami. Um, three three field goals and a safety uh, for the Colts. Oh, that's how they get to 11. Okay. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. It's not a touchdown. I've got, I've got three field goals by one team and two safeties by the other. So I can, we'll I can do even better. A touchdown, a missed two point conversion, a field goal and a safety. There wow. you go. 11. There's a sounds like a Titans Colts game to me right there. If uh, I had anything, I listen, if I had anything to Richardson, I might go for two a lot more. So like, sure. If I, if yeah. I had a, if I had that guy back there, uh, just running the the wildcat, if you need to. So Brayden, uh, I'll there, tell you what, we we're almost out of time, but yeah, I do, we don't have any time for college football. It's okay. Yeah, can we? Can I ask like one or two questions? Because this is what I come on here for, really. At the end of the day, this sinkers. Is the hang on, I'll let you go because I want you to okay. rapid fire the, the, okay. the questions, and I'll try to give you short answers, which is hard for me to do. Sinkers Beverages, the Kingston Group, are two great and amazing sponsors. Go check them out. Uh, sinkers Beverages, number one liquor store in the city in East Nashville. I shop there. Great with liquor selection. You can Uber Eats and you can get uh, the booze delivered directly to your house. Uh, that way you don't have to drink and drive. It's great. Uh, Kingston Group, buildkg.com is the website. Just give them a call. Talk to them. Uh, we've had work done in our house. And again, you'll notice this. There is not a single advertiser on 440 Sports that I do not and my family does not use. We use every single one of them. It is why we're partnered with, this, with these folks, because they are high quality services and goods in the market. So go check them out. Sinkers Beverages and the Kingston Group. Okay. Rapid fire, SEC, big week six. You got championship games in the West and the East, all kinds of fun stuff. So Easton Freeze, what do you want to know about it, the SEC in week six? Yeah, it's the layman's guide to week six SEC football with your every your friendly neighborhood SEC layman, Easton Freeze, who watches for fun and doesn't really, I couldn't cover this if somebody paid me. Um, I am an NFL guy through and through, but I do enjoy some good college football. And we've got some good games this week, some a, a big red river showdown between two future sec teams. We can kind of start there. I know a lot is being talked about with this game, you know, the playoff hopes of both of these teams mm -hmm. in a, in a large part hinging on this performance. Mm -hmm. What are, what are you expecting to be the X factor in this game and convince me that, I mean, does, does Oklahoma convince you and should it convince me that they are a real contender for the playoff if they win this game? 
If they win the game, yes. Uh, Seven-point underdog, Oklahoma at home. They've been extremely efficient this season. Dylan Gabriel at quarterback. The defense looks to be better under second-year head coach Brent Venables. Uh, They are trending in the right direction, but they haven't really played a very difficult schedule yet. They played at Cincinnati in a Big 12 conference game, which will literally never happen again, uh, which is fascinating. And they didn't exactly set the world on fire. So this is by far their toughest game. Texas is far more proven. With the win at Alabama on the road, they are better. They have more talent. They have a better offensive line. They've got a better defensive front. They've got a better quarterback. But this That's is a lot the of mo- better. But this is the most unpredictable rivalry game I think actually in all of college football. I think Ohio mm-hmm. State, Michigan, Alabama, Auburn, Egg Bowl, a lot of great games. But this one, I've seen five and seven Texas teams beat eleven and one Oklahoma teams in this game. It is mm-hmm. that unpredictable. Love so it. I have so I have no clue what what's going to happen. I would pick Texas if I had to. But to your point, this is what makes this game special this year. Not only is it the last one ever in the Big 12, soon to be an SEC game. But first of all, it's also where I learned how to cuss. Uh, I went as a 12-year-old. I went to one of these games with my dad, and I like looked up at half the stadium, dropping F-bombs at the other half. And I was like, Dad, I don't think they're supposed to say that. And I learned how to cuss going to an Oklahoma-Texas game. It is special. It's a special rivalry. One of the most American stories I've ever heard right there. It's, a, it's a, College football taught me how to cuss. It's great. Um, sure. But they, Texas has not been ranked in the top 10 for this game since 2009. Texas played in the national championship game in 2009. And to your question, Oklahoma could play its way into the playoff with a win in this game. The gravity and stakes of this game for both sides hasn't been this high in a long, long time. So that is what makes this game so fascinating this year. Uh, that being said, they also could play again in the Big 12 title game. So one word answers, can Oklahoma lose this game and still be considered a serious contender? Yeah, you play well and lose close. Absolutely. Okay. It's I'm assuming the same goes for Texas then. Yep. I'm all about, I'm all about two high level teams playing a high level game. And if you lose close, all I did was learn that you guys are about the same. Okay. All right. The next game I want to ask you about is the, I have, there's four games written down here and, and this is the one I know the least about. So maybe my question should be, what should I be looking for? in LSU Mizzou uh Luther Burden five-star recruit playing wide receiver for Missouri is Stefan Diggs that is that that's what he that's is. him he's Stefan Diggs huh? he is going to be a top 10 pick in two years wow um I'm a freshman I want a sophomore okay he's sophomore. had four four consecutive 100 yard games LSU Ooh. cannot cannot stop air uh, and Luther Burden, who, again, I think his NFL comp is Stephon Diggs. He looks exactly like him, plays like him. And I think he's going to have an NFL career like him. He was the number one receiver coming out of high school two years ago. He has blossomed into a superstar and he will not be in an NFL theater near you very soon. <laughs> OK, um, but that that is the, like Vegas doesn't agree with me on this game. I think Missouri's the better football team. They're better. They're at home. It's the biggest game in Eli Drinkowitz, the head coach's career. Hmm. Uh, it's the biggest game in Brady Cook, the quarterback's career. Missouri has the better defense. They're at home. There's no reason to pick LSU, but LSU is a six and a half point favorite for some reason. So I don't Firework th- potential in this game because of that. Because this be a big shootout. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. B- both quarterbacks are playing elite football. Brady Cook and Jaden Daniels. Again, on paper, Missouri has the advantage in almost every category, except for maybe overall talent, which is a big one. But I, Vegas has got LSU as a road touchdown favorite. It is. It makes no sense. They are begging you to take Missouri, which means they think LSU is going to play really well. Mm. So again, and we'll get to Bama in a second, but generally when Vegas is dangling you that cheese, you don't, you shouldn't take it. And that right now they're, they're dangling you those six and a half points and saying, yeah, go ahead, take Missouri. We dare you. Okay. Uh, and so I'm I, I always I don't know that by the way, I don't know hey, about when that Vegas one. is daring you to it do make, Cause I would pick Missouri outright to win this game, but it makes very, the, the spread makes me stop. So, okay. Interesting. Kentucky, Georgia is another matchup we get this week. Georgia is one of the teams I've paid the most attention to through five weeks now, and they are consistently looking like a team that's begging to lose a football game. Um, Kentucky has looked better than I thought they would be. I know coming into the season, the Sharps, like you were talking about how this Kentucky team could be much improved. Have they maybe first question, has Kentucky been even better so far than you thought they would be? I think they're about where we thought they they were going to be. I think both Missouri and Kentucky, for those of us sharps who liked both those teams, five and zero was very reasonable for both of them. Kentucky's played nobody, Uh, so five and zero was a very reasonable point there. I think the running game has been better for Kentucky. I think the defense has been better slightly than we expected. The quarterback play with Devin Leary has been slightly worse than we expected. So I think 
Kentucky's kind of where I, I wanted them to be, but they did just play arguably their best game against Florida at home. Now they're going down to Georgia where traditionally Mark Stoops' teams have turned this game into a slog fest, rock fight, low scoring defensive game. And very few teams have been able to do that to Georgia. Kentucky has, but they're 0-3 in the last three. So I I don't know if they can win this game, but can they turn it into an ugly dogfight? At which point the quarterback has to become a factor. Devin Leary has to be a factor. And if he is not the way he has not been in the first five weeks, Georgia wins easily. If Understood. Rock- However, I would like the record to show that the last time Braden Gall referred to a game as a rock fight, one team lost 38 to a bajillion or whatever, 27 to three, whatever. 27 to three. Well, that, yeah, yeah. to be fair, it was a rock fight for two quarters until the defensive line for the Titans quit playing football. This is true. So my, uh, my, sec- my quick second question to this for this game is, is this where Georgia finally stumbles? No. What do we think? No. no. Uh, I think I think they could, I think it's I think it's low scoring. I would take the under. I'm not sure I would touch the 14 and a half. I think Georgia could absolutely lose. But Carson Beck showed us last week uh, down 17 to 10 on the road against Auburn. He went 12 of 15 for 200 plus yards, three straight scoring drives. I, I think they're too talented and at home. I don't think you can beat Georgia at their game. And Kentucky wants to play Georgia's. I don't think you can out Georgia, Georgia. And Kentucky mm-hmm. wants to play Georgia style football, and that plays right into their hands. So I think Georgia Styles wins. Styles make fights. Yep, Styles exactly. make fights. All right, save the best for last. The game of the week of the year of the century. We've got AM Bama. I texted you earlier this week. We, you know, I do some work for 440, and you were requesting something, and I held my work ransom. I said, I will only give you this if you convince me not to make an irresponsible bet on Alabama to win this game outright and against the spread. And you said, take AM money line explain yourself uh this is that cheese man uh vegas is saying look bama minus two and a half and the casual out there who lives in chicago and new york and texas and dc who doesn't know anything about a&m or bama sees alabama minus two and a half and goes hell yeah i'm taking that (laughs) a&m's gonna win outright they're gonna win the game outright 14 sacks in two weeks 30 tackles for loss in two weeks alabama 127th in the nation in protecting the quarterback one team can't protect the quarterback. The other one is dominating on defense. Uh, it's not a hard equation. Uh, Texas A&M. Is, get, is there some emotion in this game, Braden? How much do you tech, think emotions? Huge, huge emotion. Because the, I think the, the you pro- might say that. The problem at Texas A&M is that they can't stay consistent. But when they do get up, they are they are great. They they okay. beat Nick Saban. They beat Nick Saban at home last year. They almost beat Nick Saban or two years ago. They almost mm-hmm. beat Nick Saban last year. Yep. They ha- they are the only defense in America that has already played Jalen Milrow. They played him last year and almost won, so they have experience mm-hmm. with Milrow's speed leaving the pocket. So they're familiar with that. They're not going to be caught off guard. College Station is going to be incredibly insane, absolutely bonkers on 105,000 people on Saturday afternoon, evening, and night. It is going to be crazy, and AM gets up for those games. They have a problem getting up for the other games. That's the problem. Mm. So defensive line, they're going to dominate. They have a quarterback in Max Johnson that I think can make just enough plays to distribute the football. They have a special teams dynamo and Aeneas Smith who is going to make a big play to change the field. So they have the special teams check. They have the home field advantage check. They have the emotional check. They have the history check. And they have the, the defensive line matchup that's going to attack Alabama. A&M outright on the money line. Book it. Love it. Love it. That's all I got. That's great. Yeah. It's good stuff. It's good. Content. Sinkers Beverages, Kingston Group, Hot Read Podcast, Stack in the Inbox, fo- Football and Other F-Words. We appreciate your time, everybody. Have a great weekend. We will talk to you next week.